Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. Let us give thanks to the show sponsors. These are great products and services. Check them out. It's so difficult to make the cut. Almostheaven.com for beautiful compact home use sauna kits. Ancestralsupplements.com for grass-fed organ meats in a capsule. Easy. DNAfit.com. Genetic testing delivering comprehensive diet and exercise recommendations. WildIdea.com grass-fed, sustainable buffalo, beyond organic, and the Primal Blueprint online multimedia mastery courses. I'm your host. Learn more at the links on my homepage, bradkearns.com. I also have a new button called Shopping with Brad for other cool stuff at bradkearns.com. And here we go with the show. We live in a land of confusion. Do this, do that. So-and-so told me to do this. You know, we all have the perception we can make it as bad as we want, right? Or we can just kind of go with the flow and, and live in acceptance. At the end of the day, we are feeling creatures who think. We are not thinking creatures who feel. I want to enthusiastically recommend DNA Fit, cutting edge genetic testing to deliver a personal profile that will guide your fitness and nutrition goals. So simple, you spit in a tube, mail it off, and soon you get by email this super cool infographic where it delivers all these important insights and elements of your genetic profile at a glance. How you metabolize carbs, caffeine, vitamin D, lactose, and much more. My exercise profile was mind-blowing because it revealed my genetic muscular makeup to be 54% power strength and only 46% endurance. As a lifelong endurance athlete, I've been banging my head against the wall, training in a manner that was in conflict with my genes. Don't wait 20 years making mistakes like I did. Find out what diet and exercise patterns are most aligned with your genetics at dnafit.com. This stuff used to be super expensive. It was a few hundred dollars. Now it's pennies. Not really, but it's a great deal. And you get 30% off if you just put in the code. G-O-Y-30. Check out everything at dnafit.com. Hi, it's Brad. Pleased to introduce my show with Christopher Smith, the all-time greatest speed golfer, greatest sport, greatest speed golfer, super interesting guy. I traveled many miles by plane, train, and bus, and taxi to reach Christopher at his new hood of Eugene, Oregon. His hometown as well, coming back home with his 22 and a half year old cat. And boy, did we have a wonderful action packed day where we binged on three tremendous podcast recordings. This is the first of them. We did a beautiful long run around the city of Eugene, went to the Prefontaine Memorial, a guy who's near and dear to our hearts because he was a rebel. He stood for something. And Christopher, same thing, man. You know what? This guy's a rebel. He stands for something. He's not afraid to speak his mind. He's not afraid to be contrarian. And he has very sharp 
and informative opinions about peak performance, healthy living, and especially golf instruction and golf performance. So you're going to hear a lot of golf referencing uh, throughout all three of the shows. The, The last show was dedicated to speed golf, but these first two are about just peak performance in general. Christopher is up on all the latest brain science and has some progressive concepts that he conveys to his students uh, in his book, in his teachings, in his wonderful uh, frequent newsletter that you can sign up for at ChristopherSmith.com. One of his key tenets is something called context specificity. And this means that you have to strive to equate your practice sessions with what you will face under competitive circumstances. We do a horrible job at this. We practice making 10 three-foot putts in a row on the practice green and then can't believe that we choke on the 18th hole when we have a three-footer to win $10 against our friends. So Christopher gets into the details of brain science. We flow through a very fast-moving show. I give the necessary props to his remarkable speed golf round that you can see on YouTube if you type in Christopher Smith speed golf band and dunes where he turned in one of the greatest rounds of golf of all time in my opinion for the benefit of a camera crew shooting a promotional video under that kind of pressure he shot a 68 at the championship band and dunes golf course one of the top rated courses in the entire world no funny business a very tough course he shot 68 that's four under par in 53 minutes, running at a brisk pace throughout the round with only a handful of clubs. And you can see it all because they have this really cool high-speed video. So if you give three minutes of your life to see one of the greatest athletic performances I've ever seen, you will get to know this guy a little bit and enjoy this fabulous show, Christopher Smith in Eugene, Oregon, talking about context specificity, rewiring your emotions, and other fun stuff of interest to peak performers in any area of life. Brad Kearns here in Eugene with Christopher Smith, getting over ourselves. Thank you for coming to your house to do the show. Happy to have you here, my friend. And we already had a great morning. We did an entire tour, one of the longest runs either of us have done uh, in a long time, mutually inspiring each other to jog around town at a very slow pace, including that tour of Prefontaine Memorial where he died in uh, 1975 at the top of his game. Great young Olympic runner for America, stood for so many great ideals, and that was a cool little experience to go visit him right, right up the hill from your hood. Yeah, that was fun. It a uh, little up, little down, little couple little sprints, some walking, some dialogue. What a morning! And you're on the road to recovery. I can see from that sprint at the end, uh, from your your hip surgery, the the common affliction today for these old athletes having to go get a new hip. But how's the whole comeback going? Yeah, it's been great. I'm a little over two years out from a full hip replacement, which am thankful and grateful for. I can only imagine 50 to 100 years ago, I'd still be hobbling around and dragging that leg behind me. And um, yeah, 20 meter sprint, I'm pretty good. Um, so Unbeatable 20 meters. Well, you and I talk a lot uh, offline, emailing, phone conversations on this quest to uh, preserve health, pursue peak performance, uh, hit that goal of longevity as well. 
Um, but it's a really delicate balance. And I know you're like going through a detox right now, a protocol with a zillion supplements in your kitchen. So, you know, we're both around the same age. We're, we're in the 50 plus category and a lot of things have changed. I'm kind of transitioning to this from talking about your hip replacement, which came on the heels of amazing career as the number one speed golfer and just performing these great feats and going all around to tournaments and getting the most out of your body and pushing and challenging yourself. And now we kind of have this wake up call where it's like, okay, um, we, we were talking about the Tommy Wood show where he made this incredible proclamation that most of our athletic goals today are entirely modern constructs that have nothing to do with our genetic expectation for health. And in many cases, we're exercising six times the traditional human load that a hunter-gatherer might have done in a day. So I think you've, you've had those years of experience behind you. What are some of your reflections and what are you doing now to... Uh, to stay healthy and maybe transition to the next chapters. Yeah, well, to your point, I think we we've all gotten into this idea of of more and more and more. Whether it's in working out, whether it's in working, whether it's in making money, uh, and then we hit a point in our life where we realize maybe it's it's not working. Maybe I need to do something differently, and uh, whether that's physically, emotionally. From a lifestyle standpoint, uh, like you, I know, Brad, we've talked about this a lot, you know, for years and years and years, it was just more and more and got to do this, this today and X amount of miles this week. And if I don't, I'm going to fall behind. And then at some point in time, enough is enough. So whether it's physiologically or biochemically or physically or emotionally, mentally, uh, we get zapped. And um, I guess in some form, it's, it's a way of hitting rock bottom. Uh, we saw this past weekend at the uh, Open Championship how uh, a guy who had hit rock bottom in many aspects, Tiger Woods, was uh, very competitive once again. So sometimes we need to hit that bottom in order to have a bit of a wake-up call and say, hey, what do, how do I need to live now? Uh, how do I need to train now? How do I need to eat now? Because it's ever-evolving. And it's certainly what I preach as a as a coach and instructor to my students in the sport of golf is uh, really the key is to adapt and adjust to where you're at this day and this moment in time. So rather than getting stuck in the past or this is what I used to do and this is what works. It should yesterday. still work. I, I, I ran this, this workout when I was at U of O I did uh, a 1203 minutes, a five mile tempo run in the neighborhood and back for another 1200, like we were talking about. So let's yeah. try that today or not. Mm. Yeah, so I think the challenge with us all is we go through life, uh, you, you can, we can call it aging or evolving or maturing, is to be a little bit more aware of where we're at, uh, listen to ourselves, listen to our body. I think we've gotten so disconnected from what our mind and our body really want, want to tell us to do, which may very well be less. You know, I've talked a lot about this, you know, the idea of, of rest and recovery, uh, in order to perform it at one's highest. And ironically, we're sitting here in the, it, literally in the backyard of uh, the great University of Oregon track and field coach, Bill Bowerman, who's uh, one of his three uh, tenets of better performance in the top three was this thing called rest. And if you were sick or injured as a Bowerman athlete and he caught you doing anything when he had asked you to rest, that means not even walking around the block, you were, you were toast. 
you were either kicked off the team or you would be severely reprimanded because he knew the importance of, of rest as opposed to go, 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 more, more, more. Uh, you, you can sleep when you're dead. We talked about that you know, earlier this morning. Well, people that don't sleep because they're working so much, they are actually going to die sooner. So if you want to die sooner, then go ahead and just keep working more and more and more. But then again, that, that raises the question. I see this with people in their golf practice. Uh, what is the quality of all the time that you're putting in? Is it a high quality or is it just a, a big quantity? Uh, so those are some things that we all need to look at. And I know I certainly have myself the last, the last few years. Yeah, you do a great job with your newsletter, ChristopherSmithGolf.com, right? You sign up for the newsletter and you, you are a lot of times drawing these parallels, obviously starting from the starting point of golf, because that's your, that's your thing. That's where you're the teacher. Um, but making that parallel to, uh, do you bring that mindset to the workplace as well, where more is better? And if you could just get uh, some more income, the promotion, buy some more stuff that might make you feel happier, and how those juxtapose to a shitty attitude on the golf course where you're unhappy because you shot a 96 instead of your usual 89. And so your entire opportunity for a walk in the park and a communion with nature and all these these lines that this golf pro is writing in his newsletter uh, for people to reflect upon. I mean, it's like a constant reminder every week to, to recalibrate you and reset you and say, hey, you know, you're out here hanging out in, in a beautiful natural setting and being able to, you know, make the athletic move of swinging and hitting a white ball. So why, why are you frowning? You suck anyway. I'll, I'll add that, right? <laughs> Most golfers are out there thinking, oh, did you tell me that a temper tantrum on the golf course is someone acting like they think they're better than they are. Mm. I think that's often the case. Yeah. You know? And and for whatever reason, golf certainly draws the, the, the inner person out of individuals, regardless of, you know, one of the beauties of this sport, I guess like with many, but even more so with golf is, you, you know, you can't hide and the golf ball doesn't care who you are, how much money you make, what kind of car you drive, where you're from. Uh, it will humble you. And uh, we all more often than not need a little bit of humbling in what we do. And, and it's interesting too. I, I now am the uh, director of instruction at the wonderful Eugene Country Club here in Eugene, Oregon, back in my hometown. And uh, nonetheless, even in this, in this beautiful environment, in this beautiful setting, there are people that show up every day that are miserable for some reason. It could be the status of their golf game. They're looking to complain about something. So I've now printed out these one-way tickets to Syria for these people. So when they complain about how bad it is and they're playing a remarkable golf course and 75-degree weather, perfect conditions, uh, I, th I think they, we all need to take a step back and realize you know, how good we have it, especially if you're actually playing golf as opposed to working in a, I don't know, you could be in a coal mine or you could be uh, doing so many other things that, we, that sometimes we just don't appreciate it. I can certainly speak for that with my own running and athleticism where, you know, for so many years I took for granted that I could just plop my shoes on like we did today, Brad, and just go out for a run. And then uh, when it got taken away from me due to injury, uh, now I really appreciate and relish and show gratitude for being able just to do what we did today at any pace uh, for any amount of time. And uh, we lose that when everything's just given to us. So, what about Tiger? He got a cameo in the show, and I, I wonder if he's experienced some sort of transformation from hitting that rock bottom for all the world to see, which 
may or may not be more profoundly impactful than uh, the average Joe who just had to file for bankruptcy or uh, lost a loved one or whatever adverse happenings have come have come forth. I think you know we all have the perception we can we can make it as bad as um, as bad as we want, right? Or we can just kind of go with the flow and and live in acceptance. But it seems like from watching him give interviews and be a little more patient and a little more wistful with his comments, maybe he's uh, gone into uh, the next chapter and has has a little more refreshed perspective. Yeah, it makes one wonder. I, I'm a little closer to it than most, as you are, Brad, with some of the research and the people you know that have been part of, of him and his life. And I, of course, been affiliated with Nike and Nike Golf for the last two decades for over 20 years. So uh, a little uh, sometimes privy to more information and insight than some. And I, I think it legitimately even surprises Tiger to some extent that he's able to do physically what he's doing. I, I honestly believe that after the, the fusion surgery that he had recently, his major goal uh, with that surgery was to be able to physically uh, play with his kids. That's it. So is this a bonus? Yes. Uh, are there are there remnants of who he is as a person and a golfer when he's still out there? Absolutely. Uh, he didn't get to the level that he still is at or was at as a golfer without having certain traits and characteristics and selfishness and attitudes, uh, wherever they may have come from. And it, and it certainly doesn't uh, speak to, to many of the, the spectators or the fans out there. Um, however, you know, Tiger, like so many people we admire, I tell people this all the time, you don't have to like him as a human being. Uh, we like what he does. So yeah, there's so many. He's not your kid's fourth grade teacher yeah. who's trained to be a, or, or soccer coach for that matter. So yeah, take take what you can. I mean, we're we're taking from our public figures at all times. We're just sucking them dry, and and we want whatever we want for them, including an autograph, which they don't know anybody that. I mean, I I for sure have no problem with the guy walking past a bunch of little kids waving their uh, their souvenir, and then they can go. You know, the the father usually will be the one uh, walking away disgusted and and criticizing the athlete. Yeah, for sure. I th I think we need to realize that, you know, we like people for what they do. Do we really know anybody says, well, I don't like so-and-so. And I say, well, have you ever met them? Oh no. So you mean you like what they do or you like what they don't do, but you don't know them as a person. Not, not everybody out there is the Dalai Lama or mother Teresa. Yeah. So those are perhaps role models as human beings, but we can admire people for their art, whether it's a golfer or a musician or a scientist uh, without they may not be the best of human beings. We all have a lot of <laughs> evolving to do on that front, and hopefully we're moving in that direction. But we can appreciate and admire someone for uh, their skill that they have, especially in something like golf. So if there's any golfers listening to this, any anyone that's ever you know put the ball in a peg, so to speak, can relate to the difficulty and the challenges of this game, and, and appreciate then somebody who does it at a high level. Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And 
the Schwank Portable Infrared Grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables. I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, There's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want, into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. <laughs> Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you, of course. It's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. Hey, ladies. You may have heard me talk about Gaines Wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function, and maybe you thought, hey, what about my needs? Well, Gaines Wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called Gaines Wave for Her. As with the male Gaines Wave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gaines Wave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits... You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website, gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment, so please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. Yeah, and conversely, like there's there's like a a, a secret rumor in in the golf insiders that Phil Mickelson is a real jerk in real life. And uh, I've heard this criticism come from people that work in the golf industry and liking to gossip about him uh, because oh he's so phony and he's so fake. And but like. All I've done is watch that guy for the last couple decades give these incredibly thoughtful and patient interviews. He's known to stand there at the golf course and sign autographs until the last kid is gone and take two hours after a round, good or bad, to do that. And he's also known to be a huge tipper where he gives the guy in the locker room 100 bucks. So if, if it's quote unquote true that he's a real jerk uh, behind closed doors, I don't care because he's not my he's not my bowling buddy, and I think he's fantastic for what he does to the public and, and build and grow the game of golf. Yeah, again, there's what we what we see and what we perceive, and then what's actually going on. So you you can hide from a lot of things. You can't hide from yourself. As as you know, that's again something that that the game of golf brings out. 
And um, I think with social media and media in general now, there's nothing that's, you know, we see everything now. We see and hear everything, uh, whether it's true or not, whether it's fake, whatever you want to call it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, when you go to put your head on your pillow, you you know what kind of person you are. You know what you've done. Has I've gained 3,000 followers today <laughs> exactly. with my fake social media postings. Exactly. You know, are you, do you feel better about that? Or did you? Hell yeah. Heaven for, yeah, uh, you might. Oh, oh, wait. Yeah. Oh, wow. When I wake up the next morning or, you know, I go to bed at night, I don't actually feel any more content. Or did you make a difference? Heaven forbid you made a difference in somebody's life today. Something, somehow. Did you do something meaningful for someone other than you? You know, I think the... Uh, the younger crowd in this day and age, you know, in this day and age, there's there's just a spread of narcissism. Where okay, yeah, you want to do better and you want to climb and you want to grow and get through your, you know, get to the, that top rung on the corporate ladder or get better at golf. Okay, great. So other than you, who who is that benefiting? And so if you really don't have a good answer to that question, then maybe it's time to reevaluate. You know, take a little step off the tee box and and uh, ask yourself some deeper questions. That's going to be requiring a seven-second pause in the recording for all of us to reflect upon that. Okay. That's less than seven seconds, but you you got the point, man. You got the point. And speaking of of compressing time, I feel like we're so busy and so overwhelmed and overstimulated with information that we truly do not have time to reflect on these bigger pictures. So we just walk around in a daze of information onslaught such that when we go to sleep and our head hits the pillow, like that metaphoric uh, suggestion you just offered, uh, we're not thinking about that. We're holding on to a digital device, looking and seeing how many more likes we got or, or whatever the, the idea is. And we, we never pause to reflect upon that. Deepak Chopra called it uh, today, th- this movement today to uh, uh, collective narcissism and dysfunction. And he feels like that the planet is in peril because of this, because we have world leaders, not saying any names, this is not a political show, but we have world leaders who are representing that to the, the most incredibly obnoxious degree that we've ever seen. And so when that happens, um, we, can, we can put ourselves in peril. But he said in the next breath that uh, as the collective consciousness builds, as we listen to podcasts like this one and give us pause for reflection, whether we're on the golf course or not, we have some hope that we can turn things around and, and strive for peace and these higher ideals that we've forgotten in the rat race. Yeah, amen, Deepak. And, uh, you know, heaven forbid people did continue to do less instead of more. How about less and better? Why is it always more and more and more and crappier and crappier and crappier, you know? Less but better. I stole that from the fabulous book, Essentialism. If uh, Show notes, you, another link to put in there. There you go. Thanks, Mom. Uh, I uh, think it's incredibly relevant. I use it a lot in my own golf instruction with, uh, because what all this information does too, Brad, is it creates confusion, right? We live in a land of confusion. Do this, do that. So-and-so told me to do this, and I saw this on the Golf Channel. In my world, we used to have Golf Magazine and Golf Digest. Now we have the Golf Fix. We have online instruction, Golf Channel. People are just so confused with, um, you know, at the end of the day, and this is another take from, uh, from the book we just mentioned, but there are vital few and trivial many, and we are getting buried by the trivial many things to do. So often my job is more uh, 
a guide, a shepherd, not to get too biblical here, but you know, as I tell all my golfing people, the original golfers, we just finished the open championship, were drunken Scottish shepherds whacking stones around with sticks. So and they they were so they were guides by trade. So what what we all can do if we have an expertise in something is I just serve as a guide. Let's let's kind of get through all the the trivial, you know, many. What's really important? And then like we talked about just a few minutes ago, what's the cause of as I like to call it, your golf ball in my professional world, what is the cause of your golf ball not behaving the way you want it to? Meaning, oh, it's going you know, too much to the left, too much to the right, it's not going far enough, whatever it might be. So what's causing it? And more often than not, the cause of this, this dysfunctional behavior in your golf ball is something you do before you swing. Mm. So it's a lack of proper uh, mental, emotional, and physical preparation. And then we just go into it hoping, you know, I tell people all the time, there is no faith healing in golf. Are you just going to hope that the ball goes better on the next one or do you have a plan? You're in charge. And I think people have forgotten that too. They want somebody else to be in charge. They want some supposed expert. Um, right. They want to outsource the the hard work. Absolutely. And, and grab for the lowest hanging fruit of you're going to get 10 yards if you buy this new driver. Sure. It's, it's again, we live in a, in a time of instant gratification. Hey, maybe we should make a driver with some pills that you, you that they're hanging in a bag off the grip. So if you take these pills, you won't have any pain. You'll have more energy, and then you'll hit it ten yards further with the driver. It'd be an awesome combo. Yeah, we do an ad that's a minute long, and fifty seconds of that ad, we talk about the side effects of the pills that you take to hit the ball farther. Never, never mind that they will probably kill you within the first week. So <clears throat> again, you know what what's in it? Plus, anything you've really done that's been worthwhile has it been quick? Like, was it a lottery deal? No, it's taken hard work. And you know what hard work is? It's hard. Okay. But there's also smart work. And again, this is something I see in my realm, whether it's in the speed golf realm, whether it's in the, which by the way, uh, Mr. Kearns has not mentioned this, but I am now speaking to, we could flip flop the, the interview here to the Guinness world record holder for the fastest hole, just one hole. Okay. Minimum 500 yards. We have to put that, you know, it's, it wasn't a 43 yard hole. Okay. Uh, fastest hole of golf ever, Brad Kearns. That being Hi, said, thanks for having me in your house <laughs> on your show. So we've got two Guinness World Record holders here in the same little space here. Yes, you should your, see your the energy record. Here. It's, it's, I mean, the 22-year-old cat has got a, a new burst of energy. She's going around hunting mice. Um, so your official world record uh, was that 65, is that right, in Chicago? So... This guy fired a 65. How many under par on that course? Yeah, so 2000, wow, 2006, Jackson Park Golf Course on the east side of Chicago, for those of you that are familiar with that area. Uh, 65 in 44 minutes, carrying six clubs, uh, is still the standing Guinness World Record uh, on a short, flat golf course. And your world record, Brad? Oh, that was only June first, two thousand eighteen. So I'm still, I'm still riding that wave, man. The paparazzi still—they're they're putting me in first class on Southwest just because of that. They're like, "Excuse me, sir, you can come to, you can come to the the B one through thirty section instead of the B thirty through 60. Beautiful. And back to those things again. The, After the, that commercial from the Speed Golf <laughs> authorities of the world, we're going back to the important stuff about. I love that concept. Doing smart work. Hmm. Uh, instead of just the volume. And again, the analogy from the golf course and the golf practice range to 
your workplace. And the thing that really uh, excites me is that connection that you can make between your behavior uh, in an athletic arena where I think the the exposure is more dramatic and graphic than walking through the halls of a workplace and seeing people in their cubicles and wondering who's efficient, who's got self-limiting mm. beliefs, who's a real peak performer that that takes off at 4 p.m. instead of 5.15, even though they've and, and have done more work than everybody else or been more productive. And then on the golf course, you have these wonderful concepts like context specificity, Nicely working said. on my enunciation. So I just teed you up for about 12 minutes of content. I'm going to go do some push-ups and some deep breathing uh, with the Wim Hof method in the other room that you're a big advocate of. You know, tell us about that whole that whole operation where I guess you call it altered golf. Mm. Well, I often ask people in in this busy day and age if they do have time and energy to waste because that's what I see a lot when people go to practice their golf. <laughs> Say that and, again. You ask them what? When well, it's on a the- simple question. Do you have time? and money and energy to waste. Because if you do, uh, that's great. First of all, I'd like to know what you're doing. Because if you do have that time and money and energy to waste, I'd like to jump on your bandwagon. But most people say, no, I don't. So then I ask them, why are you practicing in the way that you are? And more importantly, I'm about as open-minded as it gets when it comes to how to get better at golf and how to enjoy golf and what individuals need to do. Because I could uh, go on for days about the different ways in which great performers uh, in the sport of golf specifically have trained. It's all over the map, all over the board, just like how they hold the club and how they swing. Yet we all want to think there's one way to do things. There's one God, there's one religion, there's one diet. Let's all do it. Okay, well, what will happen? Some people will die and some people will prosper. Okay, so. Uh, as far as what I see frequently, and this is another question I ask, is what you're doing, are you getting better? The way you're practicing and you're going about your golf or your life, are you getting better? Are you evolving? Are you becoming a better human being and a better golfer? If the answer is yes, which it is sometimes, then I tell people, all the power to you, brothers and sisters, keep doing what you're doing. It is working for you. However, more often than not, the answer is no. So I ask, well, what are you doing? Let's look at it. So if it's not working, then you need to change. And what people like to do is they get stuck in what they know. Why? Because we know that the mind and the brain, it likes the known. It does not like the unknown. So even if the known, let's say it's a way you swing or the way you go about your life, it's a lifestyle thing, it doesn't really work for you. You're not very healthy. You're not very happy. You're angry. uh, You're bitter. Uh, you're a crappy golfer, but the mind will always migrate to what it knows. See, as, this is your life. This is your miserable, suck-ass yeah, life. As right, opposed to with enough, your shitty commute uh, sure. to work and then the, the, then the shitty practice session on the range before you tee off with your, your, your playing partners that you don't like. Correct. <laughs> so what's the alternative? The unknown. Now, what does that elicit in us all, which creates, in my opinion, most of the issues in the world? It elicits fear. The mind does not like the unknown because it doesn't know what's going to happen. It's afraid. So we had this conversation this morning back to the uh, the one and only Tiger Woods, who, in my humble opinion, uh, is the greatest player ever to play. Greatest athlete, in my opinion. Unbelievable. Of, of what, any sport. Whether you like him or not as a human being, and most of the listeners have never met him or spent any time with him. I will tell you this, and I noticed this in the last round of the Open Championship where I watched every one of his swings. He plays the game without fear. 
So every single listener, you tell me whether you're a golfer or whatever it is you do, do you go through your day in your life without fear? Now, when you play without fear, is there risk? Yes, we, we know Tiger likes to take risks and he has in the past. Will you always succeed? No. But if you don't try, then you won't ever know. So I commend him 110% for playing the way he does without fear. Now, that's exactly what the mind doesn't like. It's afraid of that because the unknown, potentially it could be worse than the known, which is why, in my opinion, again, you have to hit rock bottom. Like, what have I got to lose? You know, when I have my golfer, golfers come to me that are either horrible or they're brand new golfers, they have less fear than you and me, for example, Brad. Why? Because they got nothing to lose. They suck. Okay. They're, they're below the rocks that are on the rock bottom, right? So they're more open to try things. They have the, the same kind of amount, if you will, of fearlessness as a Tiger Woods. But imagine you're at his level, arguably. We don't have to argue. We could have dialogue about it. Okay. Arguably on. the greatest player of all time. Yet he plays without fear. How cool is that? I'm imagining myself at his level, like you asked me. Okay. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had Dave Rossi on the podcast, this uh, leadership uh, retreat guy with a really great uh, message that he uh, communicates with, with uh, great clarity. And he says, anytime you experience fear or anxiety, the first step is to acknowledge it and acknowledge that it's just a thought or an emotion on the golf course, you're afraid of the water, whatever. First you acknowledge it and then you redirect your thoughts to your vision and your values. So it seems like uh, ever, ever since he said this to me a few months ago, um, and I've come up with fears and anxieties about my career and about uh, the starting a new podcast yeah. or uh, trying something new in my uh, exercise regimen or who knows what, saying something that it takes a lot of courage to come up and face a difficult conversation. Uh, but if you can redirect that to say, um, you know, what are my values? What's my vision? And if you want to make the example of golf, you're out there to compete and hit the best shot you possibly can. And it puts you right back into that winning competitive mindset, which you have studied so much and tried to encapsulate and describe in your uh, emails and in your teaching. For sure. The only challenge there that I've found and others have found, and this gets a little bit into the neuroscience of it, Brad, is I, I do fully agree that I, I believe thoughts are triggered by emotions. And I do not, hence, let's get to the root cause. Like we talked about, you know, why does my ball slice? Uh, why am I diagnosed with adrenal deficiency? Well, that's not really the bottom line. It's not the cause of it. So through mental discipline, can you change these thoughts? I, I don't believe so, and I've seen it time and time again. I think you have to reprogram things from an emotional standpoint, not from a thought standpoint. So if we can react and have these emotions, which we have all the time, can those be rewired, creating technically new neural pathways so that when in times of stress or fear or anxiety, we have a different reality. Um, What's your book that you're referencing uh, that you had me read? Was it uh, Guadagnoli or another one where they were talking about this subject of reprogramming, especially those stored emotional memories that are lingering in your body and causing, causing damage and suffering? Yeah, uh, there's there's many not not just sports related but other related. Um, the uh, 
one of the you know pieces that always comes to mind in this is and i cannot um, her name is slipping me right now but the uh the wonderful uh book written by the neuroscience uh scientist excuse me my stroke of insight uh her name will come to me it's on the tip of my brain but anyway she states emphatically this is a woman uh it'll pop in soon who basically suffered a stroke. She lost the entire left side, the use of the left side of her brain. And since she understood scientifically what was happening, it's a fascinating book, uh, TED Talk, obviously, and then book. But she states emphatically that we are, at the end of the day, we are feeling creatures who think. We are not thinking creatures who feel. This is a biological truth. And so when we try to overwhelm and, and gear things towards using mental discipline and thoughts, uh, it often, for, uh, often is not very effective. And I think if people realize that and if they can reprogram uh, their, uh, their emotions so that whatever happens, uh, the trigger is different, uh, it, it can create a, a, different, uh, a different result, if you will. And there's you, certainly a lot of emotions out on the golf course. How do you do that, man? Uh, the author, by the way, I knew it would come in a split second, is Jill Bolte-Taylor. And her book has been out for many years now. Oh, you, you pointed me to her TED Talk. TED Talk, yeah. phenomenal. Uh, uh, she actually brings a, uh, it's not alive because there's no person in it. She brings an actual brain onto the stage. <laughs> she does her TED Talk, which is awesome. It's very, get... very lifelike. It's incredible. It's in her it? palm of her hand. I think she just whipped it out, and there was a little gasp from the crowd. It was pretty cool. Yeah, oh, yeah. Just taking it apart. This is the <laughs> this lobe fits right here. <laughs> yeah. If I undo this, like Steve Martin in the uh, the old movie, it's beautiful. And so, uh, coming from someone who I'm a big believer uh, when in my world, back to the confusion that there is in golf and uh, golf training, golf practice, how to get better. Uh, like in Brad's world, like in a lot of the things we see now, uh, there's a lot of supposed experts out there that have really shaky data, really not. They call it science, but it's not. And they have no experience. Okay? In my opinion, you have not learned something until you have experienced it. Even the, the announcers we hear on, on you know, the telecast for golf and other uh, the individual that, that have been there, whether you like them or not, they may not be incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to technique and what's actually happening in the golf swing, but they've been there. That's very powerful for me. And so when I can find a combination of legitimate science and research and data and the experience, uh, that's a mighty cocktail. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near-infrared light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation. 
where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. I'm pleased to present BRAD grass-fed whey protein isolate superfuel, the absolute highest quality all-natural protein supplement infused with creatine that delivers everything you need to optimize your appetite for fat loss, recover quickly from workouts, and build and maintain lean muscle mass, the single most important attribute for aging gracefully. Our protein comes directly from small family farms in America's dairy land of Wisconsin. It's cold processed and micro-filtered for maximum bioavailability and digestibility. So please, don't mess with the many cheap commodity protein supplements that are ineffective, inferior, less pure, and often contain junk sweeteners, especially the plant-based offerings that are vastly less bioavailable than the gold standard of protein supplements that's whey protein isolate. Whether you're in your peak athletic years looking to grow and recover or in the older age groups trying to delay aging and decline, whey and creatine are widely agreed to be the most critical and effective supplements to take for the rest of your life. You can easily stir the superfuel in water or make a delicious smoothie every day. I'm certain that you're going to love the pleasant, light, natural vanilla bean and cocoa bean flavors. So try some on Amazon today. It's a huge hit with dozens of five-star reviews. Or you can order direct from bradnutrition.com with our buy three, get one free, and make the super fuel a centerpiece of your daily routine. And those are people that I will open my ears to. Unfortunately, might be two people. 
There, there might be two. You have yeah. like Laird Hamilton, who's been in the in the waves, <laughs> but he is not citing brain research and stuff. But you got to listen to what he says, record it, and then take notes and and go look for scientific references for what he just said. Correct. Same with uh, some of these top athletes who you know they don't make great coaches. They always say because these guys just went with the flow. You know, magic's not going to be able to teach someone how to make those passes, but. I guess he can sign LeBron James, so he's doing something right. He's doing something right there. So I think those are questions that we need to ask, and we see this more and more, uh, whether it be in, heaven forbid, podcasts, anything. Anybody in their proverbial dog now can promote and put things out there so that we can all see them via social media, via whatever. And so us, the impressionable, vulnerable human beings, uh, many of which play golf, we're very open, and I do appreciate people's open and openness, but you must always, always, always consider the source. What is the person's background? What is their experience? What sort of uh, studies? I learned my lesson the hard way with that. Uh, study says blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like the old, you know, the old game show. Survey says blah, blah, blah. Did anybody bother to actually order the study that's being mentioned, that's being referenced, and read the study? Because... Many people would be shocked if they did read the study about how asinine the actual study or the test was to get these results. And often they're biased. We won't have to look at the pharmaceutical you know, realm to see that. They're biased so that somebody can make some money. And it's certainly happening uh, even as we speak currently in the golf realm on social media where somebody's come up with the latest and greatest you know, swing method, swing model. They're posting... 29 times a day with all their students. Now, remember, people, remember, only post things on social media, people, if in, in golf instructor realm, when your students play well and they win things, and if you're in a, a really nice place vacationing. Don't ever post anything where your student just shot a million uh, or you're having a really shitty day. Right? Slow day at the range that. at Eugene Country Club, weather 44 and raining. Have a great February, you guys. Here's Chris. Peace Lee. out. <laughs> Leaning on his six iron in a freezing day in January. So I get it. I just don't, uh, morally, uh, I, d I just don't, I don't want to go there anymore. And I actually feel quite good about it. So, uh, but to the, to the listeners out there, you do really have to, and I, I do a lot of this, weed through, all right, what's this person's background? You know, where are they coming from? What are they actually preaching? What's their education? What's their experience? So a lot of what I, you say, well, what do I preach, so to speak? And um, back to this context specificity, which is a big part of my, my program to help people practice, I would just say more effectively, practice better, is called Train to Trust, which I did trademark a few years ago, luckily, because everybody's all over it, you know, not really. But there are certain building blocks uh, similar to, dare I say, and I say this with great humility, uh, John Wooden's Pyramid of Success but it was built on certain things. And one of the pieces, one of the building blocks, one of the tenets of train to trust is something called context specificity. And, and Brad's pronunciation is getting much better. We'll get his heart rate really high here in a few minutes and see if he can say it three times in a row fast. Anyway, all that means it's a technical term, not really, but it's, it involves learning science. How do we learn things, not just golf? And it states this, the more the activity or the practice you are doing, resembles exactly what it is you are going to be doing. So we'll use the golf example here. 
the more it will transfer and last. Now, when I ask my students, why are you practicing? Well, they say, I want to get better. And I say, well, what do you mean you want to get better? Well, I want this, whatever I'm doing to, I want it to last. I don't want it to be a short-lived. And I want it to transfer to the golf course. Bingo. So when I hear, and I've heard this, wow, I wish I had a, if I was greedy and into materialism, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard this. Why can I do it on the range and I can't do it on the golf course? Well, for me, it's, it's normally quite simple. You're not practicing the right things the right way. So if you want things to last and you want them to transfer to the golf course, then make that activity as much as possible, not 100% of the time, but way more than we think. Make it look like a round of golf. Now, maybe this is time for another seven-second pose so people can imagine what happens in an actual round of golf compared to a normal practice session. And these are some of the things that we do in my Train to Trust programs, often 90-minute sessions. Sometimes I'll do half-day schools, uh, full-day schools. I bring in players of every level from the highest level to I'm just learning how to play, and I do cater it to those individuals. But really, the better the player you are, the more your practice and training ought to be context-specific. It needs to look like a round of golf. And it was fascinating, the, uh, the mental coach, that uh, the Open Championship winner, Francesco Molinari, known to his friends as Kiko, um, his mental coach for the last few years, just reiterated some of these, these tenets in trying to make his practice uh, more unpredictable. As I say in a lot of my talks, golf is the most random, chaotic, and unpredictable game on the planet, yet people practice it like a foul shot. Meaning, we can go anywhere in the world and, and Brad will say, hey, let's go shoot a free throw, foul shot. Right? Well, anywhere on the planet, for the most part, it's 15 feet away and the basket's 10 feet high. Right? That's how people practice their golf. Yet when you go to play, especially at this year's Open Championships with the condition of the course, you know, and the wonderful weather and the firmness and the wacky bounces, you know, you know, it's, it's the inevitability of anything and everything. So I asked, you know, the golf listeners out there, are you practicing, are you preparing for the inevitability of everything and anything? Because if you're not, you're going to be out for a rude awakening. So when I first read your book, I've got 99 swing thoughts, but hit the ball ain't one of them. Is that the exact title? Yeah, minus the them. Ain't, ain't one. I got 99 swing thoughts, but hit the ball ain't one. Thank you, Jay-Z. Um, I, I totally bought into this idea that you want to simulate the competitive experience in practice. I realized that I told my endurance athlete clients for many, many years that if you're training for the Ironman, let's say, once in a while, you have to jump in a body of water and swim for two and a half miles without stopping at the wall <laughs> or going in, showering off, toweling off, putting your lotion back on, and then getting on your bike after eating a bunch of snacks and going for your 100-mile ride and thinking you're preparing for the race, mm -hmm. that you got to jump on that bike, dripping wet with your eyeglasses uh, soaking wet as well, and your squishy, wet feet going into your bike shoes and taking off and hitting it hard for exactly what you're going to face on race day. Even if you have 12 long distance swims paired with uh, another 12 bike rides the following day or whatever, 
uh, you're missing that element of, of the exact race simulation where you can problem solve and see what's going on. So mm. I bought into it. And then I also realized, I think you conveyed this well in the book, that there's that if, if you have a devil's advocate here saying, now, wait a second, hitting balls on the range is how Tiger Woods became the greatest golfer. But you said, you know what? You can stand in front of a mirror in your bedroom and practice your swing and get that technique honing into the nervous system just as good or maybe better because you don't, you're not distracted by ball feedback as if you're hitting balls on the range. So I feel like there might be, are there two uh, objectives here? One, you got to get your technique right. And then two, you got to simulate competitive experience. Yeah, for sure. I just think we've gone too much, you know, to one end end of the The, scale, which is what we call in you know, in, in learning terms and we, in golf terms, even we call this block practice. Now, uh, let this be said, when you're learning a new skill, do you need to be in a pretty safe, calm, level, easy environment to learn the new skill? Yes, you do. However, even new golfers, they'll go out and play and, and they're confronted with this, this incredible, you know, variety and chaos out on the golf course, which they have not created at all uh, in, the, in the practice realm. So uh, there is a time and a place for this block practice of sort. Um, And then we need to throw in this randomness and it can be interspersed. So I would say, again, if you're learning something new, I mean, I use this analogy a lot. When people learn how to ski, for the most part, where do they go? They go to the bunny hill, right? And they figure out how to get down the hill without breaking their necks, okay? They learn how to snow plow. They learn how to turn. And maybe they learn how to stop, okay? So in golf terms, the bunny hill is a very short club from a very short distance. Unfortunately, what happens to golfers is new golfers decide, well, I want to go play. There's no danger involved. There's no pain. There's not a lot of fear, right, other than the humility and the embarrassment. So I'm going to play a full golf course with long clubs that are very unforgiving. That's the equivalent to the new skier going to the double black diamond run and going off the backside, right? Now, have there been some great skiers that learned to ski that way? I bet there have been. But there, 90% of the people that try to do it that way, they quit. They get injured. They get scared. They're disappointed. They're frustrated. So there is a balance there, Brad, as far as, hey, what you know? do I need to kind of build this skill? But I just think people... You know, they ought to throw themselves into this into this bath of of who knows what's going to happen and the different lies and the different conditions and the fact that they only have one try. So just a couple of examples of, you know, how our practice differs from from a real round of golf is just this. Uh, how long a time put your chronometers on do is there between each shot on a golf course? Well, depending on the pace of play and who you're playing with, it could be anywhere from seven to 15 minutes between each shot. And are you hitting the same club on the next shot? The answer is normally no. So how does that look like the the way most people practice? It looks nothing like the way most people practice. So people take a seven iron, they put the ball in a perfect line, they hit 20 balls in a row to the same target. So that ain't golf. Now, is it potentially a way to build a a motor program that we call a golf swing. Yes, it is. Okay. Another example, and this, we've been educated to do this. We've been miseducated like we have about so many things. If you took a five-year-old kid to the driving range, now remember children are the Tiger Woodses of learning. They are expert learners and they do it intuitively. And you said to the kid, I want you to hit seven 
excuse me, I want you to hit 27 irons off the perfect lie to the same target. What would happen to the five-year-old? The five-year-old would immediately get bored. They don't want to do that. So they might hit a couple, then they'd probably go to a different target, change clubs. The range cart boy in the moving the moving Yeah, vehicle. the moving target. Oh, I'm going to put the ball in a hole. Well, guess what that looks like more? It looks like a round of golf. So the five-year-old is actually way smarter when it comes to practicing in many ways than the parent or the older person or the supposed expert who's going to tell them to ingrain a perfect swing with the perfect lie, with no anxiety, no stress, a bunch of do-overs, those are called range balls, and an 800-yard wide fairway, which we call the driving range. So it just, it raises a lot of questions, like a lot of things, Brad. Why am I, I mean, the best question is, why are you doing it this way? And if somebody answers, as always, because this is the way we've always done it, that is the worst answer in the history of the world. Okay. Now, once again, if what, if what you're doing is working, and I could tell some horror stories right now about some of the best players in the world that are making millions of dollars that barely practice at all. They, are, they, they don't really spend any time with it. Okay? So do you have to practice a lot? No. Do you have to practice in a way that works for you? Yes. And do you have to practice with purpose and quality and make it as much golf-like as you can? Absolutely. Love it. And I think when you're playing, the average golfer is kind of disgracing the sport by conceding putts or dropping another ball or having your floating mulligan rules and things like that. And it's just, I think, ingraining these bad habits where we think do-over is part of the sport of golf. Yeah. And so again, like the context specificity uh, starts to dissipate because then when you have your tournament round, um, you're going to, you're going to choke these, uh, these one foot putts. I choked a six inch putt at the world speed golf championships because yeah. I just, I just brushed it in with a little frustration. And I realized, gee, when's the last time I faced a six inch putt in practice? And I was, you know, I would routinely just grab the ball when it was that close. I mean, not one foot, I, I'm not that stupid, but when I, when I missed the six inch putt, I realized that mm. I had not prepared myself for the, the competitive experience of knocking that thing in when it counted. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there is no, uh, you just brought up two words, competitive experience. How do you get better at competing? By competing, there is no substitute for competitive experience. So people that want to get better and they they live at the driving range per se, good luck. When they figure it out, let me know. But I'd rather have them thrown into, you know, uh, a situation of adversity. And then, like you mentioned earlier, oh, I have to solve problems. Uh, I think one of the challenges today with a lot of the young golfers is they've been they've been fed with a silver spoon growing up. They've never faced adversity in any realm or aspect of their life. Right, because so, they were pretty good at golf. And so they got a free pass at school to go homeschool and play the junior circuit and yeah. who, who knows whatever concessions. And I mean, in Tiger's story, it's pretty tragic. The level of uh, enabling that occurred in the background of his life is no longer in the background, but it, it led to a train wreck. And it's a fascinating account of like, this guy was bred from day one to be the greatest golfer who ever lived. And guess what? It was a successful breeding and successful scientific experiment, but he didn't know how to engage in, in real life and, and deal with uh, the, the human element and all those things. Yeah, there's certainly a decision-making issue there when we're not given 
you know, some, some adversity, some need for resilience, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of great books out there on that right now. So, um, you know, another perfect example, I'm still guilty of this myself. When we hit a bad shot on the driving range, what does everybody do immediately? Well, they immediately drag another ball out and immediately hit another one because they want to get the bad one out of their system. It's like a, you know, it's like a bad rash, you know, or I got some, I've got some, you know, bug in me. I need to get out. Now, question, when you hit a bad shot on the golf course, what happens next? Well, you have somewhere between seven and 15 minutes to deal with it. Now, this is where the emotions and the thoughts come up. Okay. So can you literally rewire yourself? Okay. From what I believe is an emotional standpoint so that you can respond to and and react to, oh, something just uh, didn't quite go my way. I hit a bad shot. Okay. And instead of stewing on it or pouting about it or using it as a a crutch for the next one, you need to get over it, so to speak, you know, short memories as we talk about, which is just an emotional way of getting into a different state of mind, if you will. But if you don't practice that specific thing, okay, hey, Brad, you just hit a bad shot on the range. You know, I got to chop, you know, I got to tap you on the arms. No, you don't get to drag another ball out. Okay. We're going to talk about a post-shot routine that could be incredibly positive for you. Why don't you make a practice swing or a rehearsal swing after the crappy shot, putting your attention on and focusing on what it is that you wanted to do in the swing, okay? Because your golf swing, like you as a human being, it's a, it's a work in progress. It always will be. The best players in the world are constantly refining, bringing into balance, okay? working on something in their golf swings. Okay, so rather than beating yourself up, and golfers, you know, are the masters of berating and belittling themselves out there. Um, the self-talk is unbelievable. As I, I tell people all the time, you know, if the people you were playing with talked to you the way you talk to yourself, there'd be a lot of fights on the golf course. So could you relearn that? And instead of beating yourself up and saying, oh, what a shitty swing that was, how could I do that? As I say, and sometimes I have people carry these images in their bag, what would you say to your five-year-old self after the bad shot? You would say, hey, did you try your best? Yes. And it didn't turn out. Yes. Why? Because it's a game and it's really friggin' hard. Okay. And then maybe a pat on the back or some encouragement. Let's, let's keep with this. And maybe you make a practice swing or two emphasizing the feel that you're looking for. Okay, then you put your club back in your bag and you start, you know, the walk towards the next shot. But your mindset has changed. It's a different outlook. Instead of being such a downer, it's like, oh boy, I got to think about that, you know, lousiness for the next 10 minutes. So this is all something that we actually can control. We can, can change. We can change. We can relearn. Really, this is a matter of learning new things. When people come to me, Brad, all the time, they say, this is broken, this needs to be fixed, and this is wrong. I disagree. Whatever you're doing, you're doing. And it, it can be looked at in a very zen way. It's not good or bad, it just is. Now, can you learn something new at any age? Yes. So why don't you look at it that way? Am I going to change your golf swing? No. Okay. Why don't we learn something new? Why don't we learn a new attitude, a new behavior, a new way to look at things? Okay, rather than, oh, this is wrong and it's broken and we need to fix it. I don't think so. So the way to rewire 
these emotional responses is by, I guess, calling them into your consciousness and taking decisive action, such as the post-shot routine? It's part of it. Uh, I can uh, connect you with someone who can speak to it better, which is an entirely other podcast for you, Brad. It is, a, it is a conscious choice. We need to remember that we are in charge. I'm in charge. Not my emotions, you mean? Like, you, you, Correct, to some yeah. extent. However, we are run emotionally. We are creatures that are emotional creatures. And I think people need to understand this with, with golf and in life. Are we all wired the same? No. Stop trying to be a stoic, unemotional, I'm not going to have any highs or lows when I play. Really? And that may not be you. That may not be your wiring. It's not your DNA. So I can share this with the viewers, a, a comment, uh, one of the top mental toughness and training and brain training coaches uh, in my world is Dr. Debbie Cruz at Arizona State. And uh, Debbie has told me time and time again that emotions are very valuable. But the emotion that you are having at that time, it must not take your energy. It must not be an energy vampire. If it's taking your energy, so it's making you down, depressed, frustrated, whatever it may be, then you need to flip it. If it is giving you energy, which, oh, by the way, what does anger give people? It gives them energy. It, it energizes them. So anger is not necessarily something to try to, to try to squash. Okay. So if you're having an emotion and that emotion is giving you energy, then you need to ride that pony. If it's taking it from you, then you need to snap out of it okay, and move into something, some sort of mindset that gives you energy. Maybe you need to, you know, here's a great thing to do for when things go bad on the golf course and they go, oh boy, somebody, this really bad thing happened to me on the sidewalk today. So time out, you know, like we do with kids. Can you just immediately think about three things that you are really, really grateful for? And I can share this with people. If someone took a functional MRI of your brain when the bad thing happened, and then they took a functional fMRI of your brain, when you are thinking about, imagining, picturing even, three things in your life that you are grateful for, those brains do not look the same. You would say, that's not the same person. That's not me. It is you. Because you just changed yourself. So... And we know this more and more. It's been out there forever. And people think, wow, this is wacky, man. This is schizophrenia. This is Sybil, three faces of Eve. We are all living all the time with multiple personalities within us. All the time. And if you don't believe me, just think about yesterday and all the different people you were temporarily throughout the day. You were kind and compassionate. Okay? You were a complete asshole You know, a couple hours later. Okay, you were really serious. Okay, you were a jokester. Those are all within you. And it's okay and it's normal. What we need to find is who are we literally okay, when we are, play our best golf? Mm. Who are we literally when uh, we are the most uh, important, meaningful, you know, best human being we can be? Now, it sounds weird, but it's there. And if people reflect on it a little bit, they'll say, yeah, that is odd how, you know, how that changes throughout, you know, throughout the day and throughout our life. I guess it's a matter of being mindful as a first step, being aware of how you're coming off and aware of these patterns. Because I think we, at our worst, 
we just go off in the parking lot because some guy uh, dented our car and, and tried to drive away and you go nuts and you have no awareness of uh, how you're coming off because you're just absorbed in the emotion or something. And so just checking that and asking those, those questions like, mm. um, you know, is this, is this what I'm all about? Am I getting consumed by this anger or can I manage it? You know, just having that conversation with yourself or taking a deep breath before you respond, things like that. Yeah, for sure. I think the response is, it's important in golf as it is, if, you know, somebody cut you off or backed into you. And that's something that can be, it can be altered. You know, we know that through, you know, deep meditation practice, for example, again, it's, it's a rewiring. It's, it's a presence and a mindfulness. Hey, what's actually happening? Is this really that big of a deal? Oh, I just hit a bad shot on the golf course. Really? Well, why don't you, why don't you tell that story to the little boy in Yemen whose family just got bombed and displaced, okay? or I'm sure the people in a Syrian refugee camp are really upset about you missing that short putt, you know? So those might be kind of large, you know, visions of it, but people need to actually go there. If you're looking to change where you're at, your mindset and who's, who's going on, who's kind of running the, the show within you at that time and place, those aren't bad places to go. And here's a little, I'm not a big fan of tips, in golf, because there's too much of that. And uh, one of my mentors, Jackie Burke Jr., 94 years old and going strong, Champions Golf Club in Houston, the winner of the of the Masters and the PGA Championship in 1956. So Jackie always says, you want a tip, go to Churchill Downs. What you're going to get from me is, you know, 60 years of playing golf at the highest levels and, and, and coaching. So I'm not quite there yet, but, but I'm getting close. So what I have people do after they hit a shitty shot, Brad, and this is really hard for people to do. I mean, golf is hard. Getting the ball to go to behave, as I mentioned earlier, from point A to point B is hard. But this is even harder for people. Okay, so you just hit a shot. Tell me three good things about that shot. And people will get stuck. I've had tour players get stuck. Because guess what their mind immediately goes to? What they didn't like about the shot. They programmed their mind to do that. Okay. Now, sometimes they're, they're so frustrated and say, this is, this is BS. It's, no, it's not. Now, guess what happens if you do that on every shot? You retrain and you reprogram okay, the brain, the neural pathways and the networking so that that starts to happen automatically. Oh, I went through my pre-shot routine. That's one. Uh, the ball is now, the ball went up in the air, right? For a lot of players, okay, that's a benefit. Uh, uh, I went for it. It went in the water, but I went for it. I had the balls yeah. to go for it on, on 16th at Cyprus instead of just play it safe. I played without fear. I got to my finish position. I committed to the shot. So, you know, there's, there's all the, you know, the armchair quarterbacks and golfers. It's, it's amazing now. So back to the specifics of the last round of the Open Championship. Tiger's going along pretty good. He hits a couple loose shots. Remember the one thing that we do not have control over? Oh, by the way, listeners. You think you have control over a lot of things in your life? <laughs> you got nothing coming. There's so much chaos out there. You can plan and prepare, but the chaos, like on the golf course, if we only knew, and someday we will. So what golfers do not have 100% control over, they do over their pre-shot routine. They do over what they had for breakfast that morning. They do over, are they hydrated throughout the round? Yes. Did they bring the proper equipment and gear? Yes. Uh, what was their post-shot routine? Okay, do they have control over that 100%? Yes. 
Do they have control over where the golf ball goes 100%? No. And especially on links courses, which is why people, you know, some don't like, well, that's not fair. I hit my ball down the middle and it bounced into the pot bunker. Well, it's a game. You don't want to play games? Go find a science. Go do math. There's no there's top no, golf. Top golf. You're, you're going to hit it right in the target. Every time it gets sucked in there. So, you know, the beginning of uh, the, the double bogey that Tiger makes on 11, he hits it in the rough. Okay, so first of all, you think uh, golf is a crapshoot and there's chaos out there. There's even more when you get in high grass, as Robin Williams would have called it, right? High grass and trees and bushes. So, because you don't know where it's going to go. So he gets over the ball and then he backs off and he asks his caddy, Joey LaCava, what do you think? So in my mind, here's the greatest player ever who now has doubt in his mind. Doubt is a killer. It brings down golf swings. It's brought down civilizations. So, and he proceeds. That's the ball that he hits left. It hits the guy in the forehead or whatever and bounces back in. But when I look at that, people could say, oh, this swing, that swing. And even he said, well, that, you know, in the high grass, you know, the, the high grass grabs your shaft and shut the blah, blah, blah. I get it. I hear. I understand the physics. You know, when the golf, when the club collides with the ball, we call that a collision and impact in golf. It's 100% physics. Okay? But the person that's wielding the club is an artist. So that's the artistic side to golf. So is there more randomness when you're hitting out of high grass? Yeah. But what do you think happens to people's performance on the golf course and in life when they have doubt in their mind? That's not good. Not at all. So doubt is a killer. And uh, we, I see this a lot in my world when people are, are reading greens. I say, well, what do you see? Well, maybe this or maybe that. Really? Okay. When you get in your car and you're driving down to the store, do you think, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a right here and I got to try to, you know, and then everybody thinks about what they don't want. You know, in golf, well, I don't want to hit it over. Really, when you get in your car, do you think about what you don't want to run into? You know, no pun intended, but you back out of your driveway and don't run into the fire hydrant and don't run into the neighbor's car and don't run into the sidewalk. Don't, 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 don't. That, that's not the way the brain is wired. We are actually wired to succeed, improvise, and, and solve problems. So it's like, well, I gotta, I'm going to pull out here. I'm going to drive down the street, going down Emerald. I got to get to 24th at the stop sign. I take a left. Okay. And then I got to cruise kind of slow, you know, and then Sundance, you know, food co-op is right down. Then I'm going to pull into the parking lot and I'm going to find a place to park. That's all pre-programmed. Now, is it going to happen like that every single time? No. How boring would life be if it was like that? You're increasing your chances of success though. It has to be programmed and planned, Brad, in the brain, in the mind. Okay, we seem to forget everything's an inside job, meaning if you don't have it programmed, if you don't have a plan in your mind about what you want your golf ball to do, where you want your car to go, and where you want your life to go, if you do not have intention, you have absolutely zero chance. There's no guarantees after that, but it starts with that. Are you going to go run a marathon? Hey, what are you going to do? I'm going to go run this marathon. Have you done any training at all? No. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, that's, that, sounds, that sounds good. And people think that this, this mental programming and planning and visualization uh, and letting everybody know and letting the universe know that you're in charge. The golf ball is not in charge. You are in charge. But often that, that role gets reversed. I ask people all the time, what, what are you trying to do? Are you just hoping the ball goes out there in the fairway? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, that's fine. But could we change that? 
you know, I know there's no guarantees and it's a really hard thing to do. It's a tough motor program to get the little stick on the round ball and put it out there and play. But you've got to start with a, a plan. Yeah, that would really help your golf. And we were talking offline about our mutual admiration, Laird Hamilton. Yes. Uh, who you worked on the golf board project with, best new product of the PGA show. And uh, man, I've had my chance to interact with this guy briefly with Mark Sisson hanging out in Malibu and just getting getting a, a dose of the, the real live person, amazing guy. Uh, but his, his uh, process for surfing these big waves where now all of a sudden we're, instead of a golf course trying to shoot a good score, he's trying to ride this big wave and it's a matter of life or death. And he conveys the idea that he formulates, he envisions the successful ride and is very carefully planning this entire ordeal where you're towed in with the jet ski and the synchronicity with the people that are supporting you. And so everything is completely planned before. And of course, he doesn't know what's going to happen. Of course, it's you know a razor thin margin of error, but he envisions a successful ride completely. And beforehand, he also uh, problem solves if there's a, a misfortune, what he's going to do if he eats it and goes under and he's going to relax and wait for his opportunity to resurface, but not panic. And I think that uh, leads over to uh, the golf example very nicely, where you better have a good plan and envision that shot and all those things and all the positive stuff, just like driving to the store. Um, and then, you know, then you're setting yourself up for success. And Hey, if you come up short and you're in the bunker, then you face that problem with a, with a clear slate, which is such a big challenge for golfers. For sure. And it is for people in, in the way they've planned their lives out. Yeah. Oh, my company laid me off. So that's when I really started to go downhill and, and my, uh, my, my life fell apart because that, that was the, the, the domino that, you know, led to uh, my addiction, losing my relationships, blah, blah, blah. It's an excuse and it's a story. And we have so much storytelling and excuse making mm -hmm. today. Um, no more, nowhere more so than on the golf course where you get on the first tee and the guy says, bear with me. I haven't played in a while and uh, uh, I, I hope I don't hold you guys up. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's uh, a 22 year old cat weighing in. We've got the wild animal that's crept into the into the zone here. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves, because they need to. Thanks for doing it. Here's a wild idea. How about eating some good, clean, delicious, sustainably raised meat instead of the nasty, trashy feedlot animals? The vast majority of our meat consumption, no wonder there's vegetarians and vegans out there. But look, wild idea buffalo is 100% grass-fed and finished meat. They roam on the open range as they have been for 130,000 years. This wonderful company is doing the best they can to give these animals a good life, harvest them in a humane manner, 
Check this out. 40 million cattle are slaughtered every year and pushed into the mainstream food supply. You've read books like Fast Food Nation with the disastrous health impact and consequences of this mess. And then, by contrast, 60,000 buffalo a year are harvested much more nutritional value, much better feeling deep inside when you order quality meat. Go to wildidea.com, order direct, they'll ship it to your house. It's delicious. You'll be a convert right away. There's nothing in the world like Buffalo Burger. Fantastic. Try it. 